shields and their swords To fight the fight they believe to be right Overthrow the overlords To the towns where there was plenty They brought plunder, swords and flame When they left the town was empty And children would never play again everybody welcome back it's jay scott it's the hook rocks the ultimate rock community podcast thanks for tuning in once again always appreciate when you stop by and give us a listen don't forget to write us a review uh, wherever you listen to on any podcast platform and set that app to automatic download so you get the latest episodes right to your phone we're approaching our 500th episode here probably going to be doing that in the next couple of months or so and our four-year anniversary so looking forward to those milestones as well uh, we are part of the pantheon podcast network a great network of music related podcasts so check them out at pantheonpodcast.com as well as on social media instagram twitter facebook at pantheon pods and you can do the same on all three of those platforms with the hook rocks We've had some great shows recently. We just had Phil Lewis from L.A. Guns. We had Matt Wake talking about the new L.A. Guns album. We've had some new bands, too, as well, who are putting together some tours, like Tuck Smith and Jared James Nichols. They were both on, as well as Meta Dead from the Dead Deads and Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods. We did our quarterly live album review of Rush Exit Stage Left. We had our professors, Professor Skylab, talking Vintage audio systems and the new craze of collecting these old systems like Pioneers and Kenwoods and all that kind of stuff. And we also had Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, Richie Kotzen from the Winery Dog. So check out all those interviews and more of those conversations and have a, a really special show lined up. And I, I got this idea while at Rockin' Pod. I was, I was looking at Don Jameson. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like, I've been wanting to have Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy back on. And I can't think of anyone better to co-host this conversation, this interview with than Don. So I approached Don at Rock and Pot. I'm like, hey, I'm thinking of having Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy on. Would you want to do the show with me and co-host it? And he, I think he said yes before I finished asking the question. <laughs> and here we are. We got Don Jameson co-hosting. And we got Scott Gorham. Mm. Back from so it's your, so it's your fault, Jay. Jay, you know this is your fault. You know that, right? Yes, yes. It's it, I'll be more than happy to take the blame for it because this is. This I, is I, the, I, the, I gotta say that that intro was so seamless. It's almost like you'd done it before. Yes, yes. I um, I that, that's all from the top of my head. So because I yeah, okay, it. wow, man. I, I I see. I couldn't do that. I'd be stuttering and go. Let me try that again. You know so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, you do it enough times, it's kind of like riding a bike, right? There you go, there you go, all right. So, uh, how, how you going are you guys? Are everything okay? Everything got, is great, man. Everything Phil is great. I don't know if you can see Philo, I got him. A oh, nice. Nice. Where'd you get that? I got that in Dublin, and just a little shop in Temple Bar, so I've... 
I'd have my coffee with him this morning. And also, hold on, wearing my Thin Lizzy socks. If I don't know if you can see these, but. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't have a pair of those. I didn't even know that those existed, right? Well, okay. Uh, my glasses on. Is that a picture of Phil or something on there? Yeah, yeah. This looks like, uh, yeah. I don't think these are probably not authorized merchandise. I probably shouldn't be showing them, but. You'll get the bootleg police around uh, shortly. Do they do they shrink three sizes when you put them in the wash? No, no they do not. But I, you could. Um, I'm going to walk southbound with these later. There, oh man, nice segue, nice tying it all together, tying it all together. Nice Scott with those socks I, on. Yeah, I didn't see that one coming, Don. I didn't Ooh. either. <laughs> what do you guys want to talk about this time? Well, um, funny you should ask, because uh, last time you were on, you talked about the live at the Sydney Opera House um, that was you were planning on re-releasing, and you talked about it, and uh, it was released last summer. Um, wanted to have you on, had some other things going on, but I wanted to revisit it after the first of the year, which we're doing, but I wanted to talk with you about the re-release of it and kind of the packaging that was with the Phil Lina documentary songs for while I'm away and Mm -hmm. just about the performance, about the the show, the concert and kind of what led up to it, the experience of the show and the decision to re-release it. All right. Well, uh, I guess the last time I talked with you, uh, we hadn't had a chance to mix it yet. Right. Yeah. Uh, had been on my and I hate this phrase but bucket list for years right because I know it, it had been on sale in this totally raw sense you know it was just like a board mix that was being sold out there and I I heard it one day and I was just <clears throat> I was angry you know who's selling this stuff you know nobody gave permission on it at all but finally uh I did get permission to uh to mix it, uh, and as you can see, there's no overdubs on it, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, but it, it, it it's to me, it was really fulfilling to be able to actually put on tape what was there on the night, you know, and it's all everything's balanced up and all that. So it, it turned out to be a really pretty cold concert, a crazy day, you know, while we were doing it. But uh, uh, it, it, at the end of the day, it was it was a pretty cool concert. What was it about that show that made you want to revisit it? Well, it was probably one of the oddest uh, situations that Thin Lizzy had ever been put into. Because, you know, we, we go out on the road, you you go into rehearsals, uh, you're a guitar tech, somebody else is good. Everybody knows their job. Everybody knows exactly what's going on, right? Uh, and all the promoters, all the right PA uh uh, monitors, you know, the, the whole thing, right? So you can just walk on stage and just do what you're going to do, right? So, it, it, which is what happened all the way through uh, the Australian tour. I mean, it was just a really killer tour. You know, we're playing to between, I'd say, you know, fifteen and 20,000 people a night and everything goes like clockwork uh, until we get to Sydney. Now, our managers had been negotiating with the mayor of Sydney and the, you know, the fathers of you know, Sydney, the, you know, the political side of things, because we wanted to do it at this place called the Sydney Opera House that nobody had ever done before. And nobody had even thought about doing it. 
And we're kind of running up against a brick wall there because, you know, the, you know, all these city fathers and all that, you know, I, and the people of Australia, you know, they look at the Sydney Opera House, you know, it's their Taj Mahal, it's their Eiffel Tower, you know, it's, whenever you see a picture of the Sydney Opera House, you know exactly where in the world that is, what city, the whole ball of wax, right? So they were, you know, they were anxious that, you know, fans were going to come in and kind of trash the place. So they, we made a deal with them saying, and they said, okay, well, we'll let it go. But, you know, you can't have tens of thousands of people there. We're going to cap it off at 6,000 people. So, you know, we were, you know, a little disappointed with, with that, but Hey, you know, Sydney Opera House, the coolest setting in the world, the Iron Bridge right, right in front of you. It's, it's a very cool setting. Yeah, man, let's let's go do it. So while we were out on that Australian, apparently, as the story goes, allegedly, there was a couple of disc jockeys in Sydney that <clears throat> kept blasting out over the airways. Okay, well, you know, uh, next Friday night, you know, Thin Lizzy's coming to town, and we hear there's still tickets available, which there weren't. You know, <laughs> it had been sold out for weeks, right? So what happens is all these people show up and I don't mean like, you know, a few thousand, I mean like tens of thousands of people show up to this show and they realize that their security is woefully understaffed now. So the police have to come in. Uh, there's no way of turning these people away. You know, we didn't want that to happen anyway. So in the end, I feel sorry for the people that had to pay for their tickets, but it ended up being a, a free concert at that point, because I think there's something around, oof, you know, I've been told between 65 and 70,000 people showed up at this thing that was, that was going to be capped at 6,000, right? So, you know, you think to yourself, well, that's cool. You know, hey, we're just going to get out there. We're going to have fun. You know, 6,000, 65,000, great, you know. But uh, a few hours before we went on, our sound engineer, Pete Eustace, came up to us backstage. He goes, you know, guys, we got a little bit of a problem here. Okay, Pete, what's that? And he says, well, <clears throat> this VA we have is just ridiculously underpowered for this many people out here, you know, it's not going to be able to reach the back, the sides, because there, there's people all around, right? So we're thinking, hey, we can't bring in PA now. I mean, it's because every road is blocked trying to get into this place anyway, right? And it's just too late, right? So, and a hell with it. Let's just go do it. You know, we're going to have some fun, right? But then the monitor guy comes up to us and says, well, <laughs> you can see where all this is going, right? The, uh, he says, well, what they've shipped in, uh, once again, it's the smallest monitor system we've ever used. And I don't think you guys are going to even be able to hear yourselves, right? Especially when we have these ramps built, especially if you go out on the ramps, you are definitely not going to be able to hear yourselves, right? So it's like, well, this has turned into a fun day. <laughs> but in actual fact, you know, it, it really was fun, you know, because, because you're battling against all these sort of audio odds, you know, um, and, and and you knew somewhere down the line you were going to going to be some sort of a losing battle. Right? But the uh, the audience in front of us, 
did not let us know that. They had a great time. So the whole afternoon just turned out to be a real gem of a gig. When you look back, when I see the concert, the video, the, you know, that's out there, that's one of the things that I first noticed that that attracted me to the to the performance was the sea of people that, yeah. you know, it was like far as the eye could see. You, know, you couldn't. And, and to have I mean, usually that's a crowd for like a festival, you know, for, for one band to have that um, that 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 crowd has got to be amazing. Um oh. You know, did you think that it was going to be? I mean, obviously, you know, they were broadcasting the tickets were available, but how overwhelmed were, were you? How overwhelmed was the band when you saw the magnitude of that crowd? Uh, I think overwhelmed is probably the wrong word. I mean, we were uh, really happy just to see you know that amount of people. But like I say, knowing you know the audio pre- pressures that we were under, we were a little worried on on that side that. You know, you're not going to be getting the thump in the chest or maybe Phil's vocals, excuse me, aren't going to be heard correctly or something audio wise was never going to be right, right on the day. But, uh, you know, uh, on stage wise, I mean, we were we were so well rehearsed as a band that we we kind of all that all those all those bullets just kind of bounced off us and we just, you know, barreled on through and just uh, had a great time that day. It, it's so great. Sorry, no, Scott. I, I was just going to say, but you know, you could see the police everywhere, and the, the you know the news teams, and there uh, people were having protests way at the end, right? Because here's their chance, you know, to get on camera with a lot of people, right? So I think it was the Aborigines that were protesting. Uh, I, I don't know what the protest was about, but you could see the placards, you know, being waved up and down from the stage, you know. So it was, it was that kind of a day. It's it's so cool to hear hear from someone in the band's perspective. But I know as a fan, Scott, that that footage, you know, you're, as you said, was bouncing around in different forms for a while. And then, of course, when we, you know, when YouTube started, then you you could find it on there. But um, you know, there it, it never had a proper presentation. But I I think, and Jay, you probably feel the same way I did. That was such an important piece of footage, even as it was in its raw state. I mean, to see Gary playing with you guys live and the energy of that show. And as you mentioned, just how picturesque the venue is. And of course the city is. Um, And then also to be, also to be down a a member as well and, and still have just that incredible energy. And that's just such a, that's, that's a live show that really deserved to be given the proper treatment. Well, thank you, Don. I really, I really appreciate that. You know, all these years later to keep, you know, hearing, you know, the compliments about that particular show. Yeah, you know, we we were, you say we were down a player, uh, but we gained one too in uh, the drummer, uh, Mark Nassif, right? Uh, Brian Downey let us know 30, 30 days before this whole thing was going to start that he, was, he wasn't going to come out on tour with us, you know, so... Uh, there was a little bit of panic going on there <clears throat> at that point too, you know, but, uh, you know, Mark, Mark came in <clears throat> and he, he killed it. I mean, he, he, anybody that looks at this, uh, uh, this show and, and kind of zeroes in on Mark, you know, they're going to, they're, they're going to think, well, this guy's been there the whole time. Right. Uh, <clears throat> the only problem Mark had on the night <laughs> and, and I can't even imagine what he was going through. He had this little tiny monitor you know, behind him 
And that's all he heard all night long was just what was coming out of this one speaker, you know. So you can imagine you're you're pounding away there, right? You got tens of thousands of people in front, and all you've got is this little tiny speaker, right? Big, <laughs> you know, he even came off going, I couldn't hear a damn thing all night long. Great, you know. Well, I neither could we, Mark. <laughs> but like I say, if you zero in on Mark, you can see what a really uh super man job that uh, that he'd and it fit for the whole tour he did it you know it was just a one show when you look back at these shows and you revisit them and you see phil on stage and you see gary how does that bring back the memories of the band how does that how does that change your perspective of now seeing it years later or is there a change in perspective uh not not really but i'm able to look at that uh, I guess more objectively now, uh, I, I myself actually can look at it as a fan through a fan's eyes, right? Rather than being in the moment and, and doing it. And like I say, just having all that bounce off you and, getting, and not really, uh, not caring is the wrong, but, 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 you know, not paying too much attention to, uh, uh, any of the politics that, that were going on with this, right? Uh, so I can, I can actually look at that now and go, well, you know, there was some, some pretty cool stuff that we were coming up with you know there obviously there's a couple of songs i will admit it a couple of songs that probably needed a little more work uh <laughs> arrangement wise you know but uh like i said it was uh <clears throat> we really didn't have a whole lot of uh rehearsal time i think mark had maybe four or five days rehearsals and then we were on the plane to australia you know so uh, I got to give that guy kudos. I mean, every time I talk about this, I got to give him kudos, you know. So, good one, Mark. You're you're the man. Yeah, you you mentioned that to me even when we were in England together. Uh, we started talking about that show, and and you were so highly complimentary of, of Mark's playing. But again, as a fan back then, like we we didn't even know. We're like, who is this guy? We didn't know who he was because again, we didn't have. The internet to run to and go okay he used to play with this band this band this band we just know okay brian's not there so now who is this guy so now we solve that mystery and then on top of that now you you also found more of the show right which is part of the package yeah well that was uh the whole thing was originally a a, a film for a, a tv special if you will and <clears throat> really i think basically all they were going to do was uh, on TV, they were just going to play like maybe four songs from that uh, from that show, right? But uh, you know, we you know we listened to it, really raw and crappy form. But you know, actually, this sounds pretty good. You know, let let's take this and later on we'll sit down in the studio and actually mix it in the in a uh, in a way that that it deserves. You know, but maybe like twenty years later and finally get around to it. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not lazy. You know, I just get a little forgetful. So, <laughs> <laughs> looking at the show and revisiting it, what's your favorite moment? Ooh, uh, <clears throat> wow, that's that's a really good question. I, I uh, you know, I don't think I actually go for favorite moments. You know, I, what I go for really when. Uh, uh, if I'm forced to watch myself, that <clears throat> we're all hitting the right notes and everything's in time and all that. And, you know, guitar sounds are great and, and uh, <clears throat> drum sounds are, are really cool. I, uh, um, 
I've just, you know, Jay, I've been playing those songs for so, so many years, you know, to try to, you know, pick out a highlight, you know, is is pretty tough going, really. But uh, did we did we do uh, Emerald on that day? I, I We must have, right? I don't know if that's yeah. part of that. I don't know. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a set list in yeah. front of me, right? So. I can imagine we did the Emerald, Emerald, and you know, Bad Reputation. Bad, bad Reputation, I know is that one. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you know, and still in love with you. I know, I know, was it's always a kind of a highlight moment. It's the only really ballad that, that we do in the set. So you know, I look forward to doing that one. You can, you know, get your sort of melodic sense out, and you know, play, you know, hopefully some some really meaningful stuff. I know that Gary did uh, every time. I mean. <clears throat> To listen to Gary play uh, "Still in Love with You," you know, sometimes I almost bring a tear to your eye. He plays it so well. You know, some of the sweet notes that he bring brings out. So it was a it was really a, a real pleasure to to play with Gary. You know, he when I think back on that, I think at that in those moments in time, he probably was one of the premier guitar players in rock, and the. The, the better thing about that is he got even better after that, you know. So, you know, and his solo things and all that. So the, the guy was just a just a terrific guitar player and a real inspirational kind of guy to to have as your partner up there. And to have, to have him do it night after night. So it's a pretty cool situation to be in for myself anyway, you know. Yeah, I think I think the thing for for me and probably a lot of fans again is is the that component of it, which is having a live document with Gary Moore, a proper live release with Gary Moore, because of course you have one with you and Brian, and you have one right. with you and Sykes um, right. on Lot Life, which is another thing I'm wearing Scott down with is remastering live life, and I think I think I've got I've rubbed rubbed you raw enough that, that I'm. We're gonna, <laughs> Might take another twenty years, but I think I'm going to get you to do it. Okay, well, you know that was when we did that album. <clears throat> Unfortunately, that was a real bad period for me, you know, because of the whole drug thing, and you know, Phil was going through the through it also, and really, that was uh, I would say it was my last show, but it was, uh, <clears throat> and I hate to use this phrase, yeah, I'd lost interest. I just needed to get out of the situation I was as quick as possible. So I never gave live life. Probably the chance that, that that it should have that I should have given it, you know. So you know, I, I will go back because you told me to, Don. Damn you, Don. <laughs> what else we're gonna do? Uh, Universal wants me to get in the studio and remix like uh, the Jailbreak album, which uh, I'm actually really looking forward to. Uh, that, that's a hard album for me to listen to, uh, and I think getting in there with the real sort of titties engineer you know getting those sounds up to up to scratch and up to date and all that would really bring up a, a shine to a lot of those songs that we did we recorded what 45 years ago so well i'm kind of looking forward to that i, I know i put like a bit of pressure on myself <laughs> you know if it doesn't come out right people are gonna go so that was you that screwed that up right oh, <laughs> it's your fault but I, I think, you know, the songs are all there, the notes are all there. It's just a, a matter of, you know, putting on, a, you know, a better shine onto that album. So I, th I think it'll work out pretty cool. 
Why is jailbreak difficult for you to listen? Uh, basically, just you know, uh, you know the guitar sounds, the you know the drum sounds. Uh, you know, it's just <clears throat> there's there's not enough impact for me uh, sound wise on that album that we got on you know late later albums, right? That one's uh, felt pretty short of the goal, you know, but uh, hopefully I can uh, score a goal there and, uh, and and put it right all these years later, you know. So, you know, we'll see. Yeah, but it, that's what I mean. It's, it's basically the the whole sound of the album. It's uh, it, it sounds really old to me. So what can I tell you? I know there's probably going to be letters coming in now. Dare you, you know, purist. I don't mean it like that. As far as revisiting these live shows, you, 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 you know, the boys are back in town live at the Sydney Opera House. You've done a lot of albums over the years of putting out live content of Thin Lizzy. First question on that: One, do you have any more shows that you got, you know, in the vaults? And two, how do you determine which one to put out? But there are more. Um, uh, and we liked to re- record ourselves live, you know, because we knew that that's that was our arena, you know, being on the stage and live and in the moment. That was our arena. Being in the studio, we did like that, but you know, that wasn't, uh, you know, our mainstay. <clears throat> our mainstay was, you know, going out on tour and playing in front of people, you know, getting the vibe off of people. It, it kind of inspired you to, you know, play better, play more, maybe play a little differently. I remember one we did a show with Green Day uh, a fair few years ago now, right? And this kid comes up to me. And he goes, "Oh man, there's you know this newspaper that wants to do a, an interview with you." And I said, "Okay," and I made sure that it was a proper newspaper, right? And it was. It was the biggest one in, in I think Copenhagen, right? Uh, so I sat down with the journalist, and this kid, you know, kept wanting to you know, barge in and ask a few questions. I had to kind of calm them down. I said, listen, let me just do this interview. And then you and I'll sit down. You can ask me anything you want. I swear to God, right? He goes, oh, okay, right? And he was he was really cool after that. <clears throat> I get done with the the interview. And, and it was a really thoughtful question that he asked me. He goes, you know, you know, of all, you know, the solos that, that you played on and recorded on the albums, why don't you play those note for note every night on stage? And I thought, you know, I, I've never been asked that question before. And I said to him, I said, <clears throat> I said, well, you know, one of the reasons, you know, I'm actually like at this point, uh, I'm like 20 years better a musician, right? Uh, and the second reason really is, you know, when you're recording a, a solo like that, it's really kind of in that moment, Right. Uh, you know, a lot of times you'll re- record a solo and immediately get, get into rehearsal and you'll change it straight off the bat, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, but you know, I, you know, I really I love you know, some of that stuff you were doing. I really wish you'd go back and, and, and think about that, which I did, you know, and I, I thought, you know, because, you know, when I hear other guitar players myself and there's a really cool song, I, I kind of want to hear that solo myself, you know, I don't want to hear them just kind of blaring away and blasting off into space here doing anything he wants to. So what I did is I, you know, next tour out, I sat down with the albums and I 
looked at the solos and I figured, well, okay, that's got a really cool intro to it. Uh, <clears throat> I think I can, there's a lot of leeway in the middle there. So I, I, I can give myself a little bit of that. And, and if the ending is really cool and it, and it's, uh, you know, kind of well known or whatever, you know, I'll incorporate that back into the solo. So, it, you know, it wasn't only just a really cool question from this kid, but it was, uh, it, it, I think it was a question that needed to be asked to me, you know, to calm me down. You know, no, you got to go back, you know, to what, you know, the, the reasons why we all love you and Thin Lizzy and all that. So I was really kind of grateful for that question. Did I go off track there somehow? Not at all. It was a, that was a great answer. Um, that, that's the guy that's going to the purist that's going to write you about remixing Jailbreak pretty soon. Right. <laughs> it was perfect the way it was. Why did you mess it up? You stinking bum, man. I got some bookshot for you, man. <laughs> I, I always say about remixes, I mean, first of all, if you're doing it, you know it's in good hands because you were the one who recorded it. But right. but also that the original is still always available. It's not like you're taking the original one off the market. It's just hey, you know, we just we like you said, we put a little shine on this one. And yeah. in in the modern age of production, this is it would have sounded a little closer to this. Of course, you know the the old fans were used to the sound of that. But yeah, as a musician, you you know you want you want that proper guitar sound. You want that yeah. you you want it to stand up in the modern age. Yeah you, yeah, you got it in one there. You know, I'm not, there's, none of the notage is going to change at all. It is what it is. It's already recorded, you know. Like you say, I'm just <clears throat> trying to put a little, a nicer sheen on the whole thing. Did you, have you heard the uh, the new Live and Dangerous, you know, box set? Have you heard that at all? Because that that's what I did with, you know, the Live and Dangerous thing. And, it, and everybody ended up loving it, you know, so... It's the same process being done just on a on a studio studio album this time, you know. So I do I do think it'll work. You know, I'll I'll hang it out there. <laughs> you know, okay, I hope it'll work. All right. Okay, maybe it'll work. <laughs> when you look back I cover all the categories there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> when you look back at the stuff that you've done with Thin Lizzy and and you know anything else that you've done, do you ever have that experience that a lot of guitar players do? Then that you listen to something forty years later, thirty years later, whenever it is that you do it, say to yourself, "I would approach that differently. I would attack that solo differently, or, or played that differently." Do you ever have that experience? Oh, do you, you mean now? Yeah, <clears throat> like if I was doing it now, a absolutely. Uh, I, I would have done that because uh, my abilities at that point were so much less at that point than they are now, you know. So it kind of comes back to the question that the kid asked me, you know, uh, you know, I've been doing this for such a long time, blah, blah, blah. You know, I want to change it up a bit. But yeah, I, you know, there's, uh, <clears throat> you think about it different as you get older and more experienced and just better at what you do, uh, you know. You've, you're you're finding kind of new and uh, you know may, maybe better avenues to you know take that first note down you know or the that middle section or I, or I could have ended it off like this you know that this is what I would have done today you know so like I say I have to watch myself <clears throat> to you know not do that on the on the classic Lizzie songs and uh, I still do it a bit you know <laughs> I'll admit I get a little indulgy there if, if you i can use that word 
if that's even a word. But I, you know, I try to keep it down to a little bit more of a, a dull roar these days. As as far as the music goes for that performance and and that show live live at the Sydney Opera House, what was the impact of that show when it was done? You know, the next day, the next week, the next months after that. Uh, on us or the audience? The, on, on Thin Lizzy. Uh, well, you know, for us, it was like, wow, that was a really cool show, you know. Uh, uh, and then, as we always did, <clears throat> you, whatever you did last night, you kind of pick it apart the next day, you know, to just to make the, the whole thing better, you know. Like, well, you know, that intro, I, I think if we would have done this like this, you know, that would make it a lot stronger. You know, it, it gets, you know, kind of business-like, if you will, uh, which... Probably a lot of people don't want to hear. They probably think we're drinking champagne and all that. But, you know, you you really are trying to, the whole time you're trying to make your set as good as you possibly can, you know. Or, or hey, let's segue this song into that song there instead of doing it with that song and that song, you know. So we were always <clears throat> experimenting around on stage. Uh, e- even if we, no matter what album we did, it didn't make any difference, right? There was always like another idea to put in that song, right? And we were always striving to make that set better than, you know, last year's set, you know. You know that song didn't work next to that one, so we got to ship that one around or maybe just get rid of that one, put that song in, you know. you're There's all sorts of conversations like that, you know, especially in this. Actually, most bands probably do that. And if they don't, they probably should, you know, but uh, it's called <clears throat> you're really caring about, you know, what you're actually playing to the audience. So you're trying to give yourself the the best advantage you possibly can at, at any moment in time when you're on stage. I've, I've been lucky to get a little sneak peek of that with the Black Star Riders. Um, s- same principle, you know, and when I've been out on the road with with you guys, it, you know, and I, I watch the show, you know, watch the show and I'm like, man, that was a brilliant set. And then you guys are huddled up going, you know, tomorrow, you know, you, you we're going to let's make it an eight count instead of a four count and let's right. switch. Don't believe a word to before the this song. And and so it is it really is like const, a constant putting together of a puzzle where the pieces will can fit in different ways to always make the show even better for the crowd. Yeah, you're, you, you, I'm glad you noticed that because, uh, yeah, like you say, even in Black Star Riders, we're constantly trying to build the set. You know, there's no way that you're going to, you know, uh, start out with, say, set list A, and there's no way you're going to make it all the way to the end of the tour with set list A being the same all the way through for 30 shows or whatever. That's just, in my experience, that's never happens, you know, so... Uh, you're always thinking about it. You're always on top of it, you know. Uh, uh, and yeah, and if there's a bad idea, which there are, <laughs> believe me, you got to get at least try it, right? <clears throat> That's what I kind of learned in my experience. You got to, you know, when I, if somebody comes up with a with an idea, you can't just go now. That's you know next. What's the next one? You got to give it a go, right? Once you start shutting down people. Uh, with their ideas, they're not going to bring the ideas any longer, right? Because that next idea just might be brilliant, you know? So always keep your ears open, you know, and, and your mind, you know, to all the all the possibilities that could happen within that set. Yeah, like, like bringing a comedian on the road, you know, terrible idea. 
but you did it but anyway. You know, you know, you, you say that, and when, when it was first suggested, I've talked to you about this before, right? And I and I, I think I, uh, you know, I we knew each other, but I didn't know you that well that first time. And I'm thinking, I don't know, man. Really, a the comedian at a rock concert? Uh, you know, you're gonna have to kind of prove it to me. <clears throat> and man, you did. <laughs> and it was great because what you did, you, you know, you. It's not like you got some sort of Las Vegas set or something like that. You know, you're you're the hip guy out there and you're you know, you're talking everybody's language. Right. And everybody's laughing their asses off and you're putting everybody in, into a, in a, in a in a great mood. And man, let's get it. Let's get it even more. Let's bring some music on. So uh, I was I have to admit and don't get a big head here, Don, uh, even after the first show, even after the first show, I went, yeah, OK, uh, I was wrong. <laughs> This this guy's man. I'm having a great time, you know. So, and I'm always telling you that. I'm always telling you that. No, you you are my biggest cheerleader. You 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 egg me on too much, but uh, I appreciate it. And of course, you know Scott's not a guy that um, you know Scott's Scott picks his words, you know, carefully. He's not a you know Scott's kind of guy. If he pays you a compliment, he really means it. If he doesn't like you, you'll know right away. So it's it's a great honor. But anyway, back back to you. (laughs) <laughs> what do I say to that? You know, <clears throat> but actually, yeah, 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 I think you're right though, about me. There, there's a was a couple of people out on that last tour that I just didn't want to engage with. I <laughs> know what I'm talking about, right? So we'll leave it at that. Yeah, please. Going to get me in trouble here, man. Oh, gosh. When you you mentioned you know, the set list that you do and how you change it up. You know, unfortunately, though, there are bands that will do the same set list for 30 shows in a row. And, sure. you know, as a fan that goes to a lot of live concerts, nothing's more frustrating than going, you know, three times in a, in a run that a band's having and seeing the same show three times. Um, I like that excitement of, of changing it up. I like that that uh, freshness that a new song and a set list can bring as far as you, you know, you have to have a high tolerance for repetition in this business. But it, well, it really drives you to change the set list is, hey, you know, if we're going to be doing these shows over and over again, we need to we need to, you know, have something for us that's fresh for us so we don't get stale. No, I, good question. Um, but I don't think that's actually the reason. Uh, really, the reason is just to make as good a set as you possibly can that really flows, you know, you kick them hard in the beginning and then keep it up and then you kind of bring it down a little bit, you dip a bit and then you slam them back up again. And, you know, so you're always looking for that ebb and flow, you know, so everything feels natural, uh, uh, you know, set wise, you know, you know, who's really good at that is uh, Ricky Warwick. Uh, and, and Phil was really great with that. Also, I, of course he was, you know, but uh, Ricky's got a real uh, feel for, uh, you know, how, how the set should go. Uh, yeah, in fact, he'll come up with things. Uh, and once again, I'll go, man, that is never, ever going to work. Right? <laughs> you, know, and you go, I never said never. <laughs> I, and it works, you know. I mean, you saw yourself, Don. I mean, he, he's really good at... Uh, uh, you know, coming up with things on the spot, you know, it's like, well, let's try this tonight. Let's try that. Right. And I love that. You know, I, I love trying out, you know, new things all the time. And yeah, you know, I do like the, the familiar also, uh, especially when you've been on the road for six months, you don't want to have to think of anything new, you know, just hit me with the, 
<laughs> with what we've been doing, right? But for the most part, you know, I, I love switching it up. So, right, and you can also, Scott, be in the moment just with your own instrument as well. Like you said, you know, you're going to hit the the important parts of solos, but another part of keeping it fresh is. You go, hey, in the middle of this, I'm going to just have I'm going to have my own fun in here. This is where I get to do something fresh for me to to keep, you know, to, even though we're playing the same songs, I can still be in the moment in, in some of my solos. There you go. Yeah, you got it in one. Yeah. You know, I'll give myself that you know, middle middle section a lot of the times so you can uh, <clears throat> so you can stretch out and, and then you'll go back to the more familiar that that everybody's used to hearing and all that. But, you know, and those parts I still really like also. So it's not like I. You know, don't like playing those, but like you said, I'll give myself that middle ground there, so uh, you know I can make it make it so uh, it's just not so completely uh, samey all the time. You know, did you ever see Cream back in the day? You're probably too young, aren't you? Too young. Yeah. yeah. I saw Cream four times, right? And the first three times they were great, and <clears throat> they they kind of do the same thing also that. Uh, you know, they would switch up songs and you go, oh, man, they're they're doing that song tonight. How cool is that? Or they're doing that one over there. But we get to the fourth time of me seeing seeing them, right? And there's old Eric up there. He's doing the 20-minute guitar solo, right? And then Ginger Baker takes his half hour on the drums. But the one that killed me, man, was the 15-minute bass solo, right? And that's when I went, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> so we're done. <laughs> So you got to play the songs for God's sakes, right? And I think, I think I got to the point where those guys just got flat out bored with it all, you know? Uh, so yeah. Yeah. The 50 minute Jack Russo, uh, you know, the bass. <laughs> Shut up, Jack. <laughs> you know. Thinking of the guitar players that you played with in Thin Lizzy, you know, we mentioned Gary Moore, what was that like? You know, having a, a partner you're playing with, and and they're all fantastic. They're all great in their own right. They all have different approaches. But what was that like for you? Kind of, you know, being that constant in the band, and then just having these, you know, these changes at guitar, and being able to play with a, with someone who has a different approach than the previous guitar player. Well, I would always say to each guy that came in, I said, you know, they're you know, we've got a template now and you've got to adhere to the template. There's a blueprint and we always adhere to the blueprint, right? Until we get to the album that you make with us, right? Uh, you know, at that point, then all bets are off. You know, you can go ahead and you do whatever you need to do or want to do all that. But anything previous, anything uh, historic wise, you got to stick with the blueprint. And Everybody did. Everybody understood, you know, the rule. You know, these these are Lizzie songs. These these are, you know, how they're supposed to be presented and played. And and everybody did that. And everybody had a good time doing it, you know, because even with the blueprint of, you know, these guys, that, you know, that you're talking about, you know, they could put the flair in there uh, at, at the same time, you know, because they were they were that good. And I was I got to say, I was really fortunate to play with that many really great guitar players not sure if there's too many bands out there that that had a stream of grade a guitar players just constantly coming through thin lizzy so it was a just an absolute pleasure for me to to play with all these guys and 
please don't ask me who is the best one to play with because <laughs> I could see you were thinking that, right? Because you know, there's there's kind of no such thing really because each guy had his own thing, and so we'll just kind of leave it at that. I wasn't going to ask you who the yeah you were was. Jay yeah who, you who were the best ones. I was going to ask you <laughs> what what, it, what excited you about each of them that was different. Well, uh, well, with Gary, it was the you know the great you know melodic sense that he had. Uh, he had you know really you know killer vibrato, and but he wasn't obsessed with speed the whole time, and I love that about it. Right? Um, he could sit there and you know fire off this lightning bolt and then come right back down to the to a real sort of melodic kind of thing. I you know love that about him. Uh, Brian Robertson. <clears throat> Was you got to remember Brian? Brian was like seventeen years old, you know, when I joined that band. I could not believe that that he, this kid, basically was that good at, at seventeen years old, and he was coming up with thing, you know, the old double picking thing that I hadn't seen before, which you know, a lot of guitar players they utilize that technique now. Uh, he was the first guy I'd actually seen use that, uh, and he used it really to to great effect. Uh, Snowy White <clears throat> was also uh, a killer guitar player. Uh, and, you know, we did three albums together. I think Snow used to get some really sweet tones, you know, and he, and he came up with some really great ideas and, you know, really good lead lines also, you know. So you, you can't fault Snowy in any... Maybe he didn't move a lot on stage. And I think, uh, you know, some of the fans got a little... I don't know what the word is. You know, I think they wanted to see a bit more movement along with the playing. Uh, and then there's Sykes, you know, who we, we, he likes to do the, do the harmonics everywhere. But he's like a, you know, real blitzer kind of gu guitar player, but also has a uh, a sense about him that, you know, he can really get in there and, and get the old melodic thing going at the same time. So, so yeah, all these guys, you know, they were just, you know, really great players. And, uh, I, I was able to go to school on on all of them, right? You know, pick a little bit out of there and pick a little bit out of there, and then you kind of use it to your own advantage. You know, you, you, you stick it in with your style kind of thing. Uh, I know Gary used to do that with me all the time. He'd pick things out that I was playing, and then I, I would hear him, and he'd be playing it, right? I thought, oh, okay. Well, that's kind of cool. But <clears throat> I think we all, in one sense or the other we all kind of we all looked at each other listened to each other and if you heard something you liked you know hey let me let me try that let me get out i think i'll have a go with that that lick there you know so you get nothing's off the menu you know everybody can try everything and it's it's all legal and basically they you, they you know despite their different styles they they kept you on your toes too oh, abs absolutely Shit, I had to be on my toes, you know, <clears throat> when, uh, well, you, you know, with, you know, Brian Robertson, you know, I, I knew how good he was and I was, you know, constantly playing a catch up game because, you know, at that point, I'd only been playing guitar for three years, right? And I had really no, any kind of really experience of stage time and all that, right? So I was learning a lot of different things all, all at the same time, right? Uh, and then Gary comes in the band and he's like a whole nother level up, right? 
which I loved. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. You know, just, you know, just watching him play, I was like, damn, this boy's got some game here, you know? Uh, you know, I just love the way he played, you know? And Snowy and John and all that. And I, we keep forgetting Mid-Year. Yeah. Mid-Year will love that. Mid-Year always calls himself the worst guitar player Thin Lizzy ever had. <laughs> uh, but, you know, he says that, but actually Midge is pretty good. You know, he, uh, uh, he, he's he got some game. You know, he, he, really, he really does. And he's got... Uh, He's got some balls too, you know, the way he came into the band after, you know, Gary left. I mean, he just flew straight over next night. He was on stage and he was doing it, you know, uh, he, he didn't have the whole set down completely. Uh, and so I did a lot of covering for him until he learned that, you know, say for the next night or the next night. Right. But he got it, you know, got all the harmony bits and got his lead lines in, you know, so can't leave Midge up. Come on, man. What's amazing about Thin Lizzy in itself is the evolution of the music, you know, throughout the whole career, you know, and, and how things changed and, and how you guys kept pushing yourselves to do something different, you know, from album to album. And there was, you know, obviously there's similarities with any band and the music because that's their sound. But 
when you mm-hmm. look at the whole body of work and then you're able to reflect on it for you, you know, what, what do you think was the biggest change from the beginning to the end of the band? Well, <clears throat> uh, for me, the obvious one is just being, just becoming a better player, uh, you know, so I could, so I could write even better parts into the, uh, into the songs, uh, you know, which I never, you know, there's, you know, songs that I had written that, you know, it's a hey Brian. I, I want you to play the solo on that one, or a hey, a hey, Gary, or Snowy, whatever. You know, I I was never uh, I was never a ball hog, if, if I can use that term. You know, uh, because I knew there were certain parts that, that I actually wrote in there with that person in mind, knowing that that guy's style was, he was just going to kill it in in that part, right? And <clears throat> as soon as you become a better player, uh, you know, your confidence really starts to rise right uh and, and you're able to like i guess you can challenge yourself at that point you're like, it's like yeah man i can do that i can get that bit done that's not going to be a problem you know you you find yourself in, in those frames of mind you know you're not afraid to or anxious about you know trying this or trying that you know so the better you get the more rehearsal you give yourself the better you're going to get and so it's going to enable you to try the more challenging things, right? And I think because of all the touring that we did, uh, I mean, we honed everything in. So so I would say precisely, but but so much that uh, you just became the, the, this better player and better songwriter. And uh, you, you were more apt to you know, try something a little different on, say, like the next album. But, you know, I don't think there was ever a, a Thin Lizzy album we did where we actually said, well, you know, the this album is going to sound like this. That that never happened. You know, that's that that wasn't in our our uh, our game plan at all. It was <clears throat> whatever songs that came up, and if everybody liked them, that's the that's the song we were going to record. You know, end of story right there. So there was no, uh, well, we got to make it sound like the last album. But the last album was a big hit, so we got to make it sound like that one. There was never any of that thought thought process going on that I, I can remember. For, for me as a fan, I, you know. I, I, wait a minute. I still didn't answer Jay's question because I, I get to talk and I can't remember what he asked me. <laughs> Sorry, Jay. Go ahead, Don. Sorry. I'm still, there's still a million jokes about you not being a ball hog, but we'll skip past those. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I have seen Scott partially undressed. But anyway, oh. the... Uh, <laughs> The uh, for me as a fan, the biggest change, and which I think a lot of fans found exciting, was when Sykes came into the band. And Thunder and Lightning definitely skewed like a a little more heavy metal. And and do do you think that the band would have kept going in in that direction had you know Phil stayed with us? Um, or if obviously if you had gotten back together, well. That's uh, that's a good question. You know, um, I, I know there was criticism with that album because of that change, uh, the metal thing, because uh, there was one thing that Thin Lizzy wasn't, and that was a, a metal band. We just were not a metal band, right? And <clears throat> Sykes was a metal guitar player, right? Uh, and he had to, you know come down to our level i don't know if coming down or coming up to our level i don't know which way you want to put that right 
but uh, he had he had guitar level anyway, right? Uh, which I thought he did a, a great job with, you know. Uh, uh, he definitely had an an edge there. Um, uh, There's a few songs that a few riffs that he came up with. There you're going, oh my god, that's that's a killer riff, man. I love playing that every night, you know that that kind of thing, you know. So. You know, he definitely, you know, added, you know, a fair few things to to Thin Lizzy, you know, to be proud of. And he should be proud of himself for, you know, coming up with that stuff, you know, which I'm sure he does. But, but I mean, he proved it when it went, you know, when he went off and joined Whitesnake. And then all of a sudden, Coverdale's got the biggest album that he's ever had in his life. I can't remember the name of the album, right? But... It was huge, absolutely massive. You know, every, every time you turn the radio, radio on that song would be blaring out. You know, so, so yeah, but yeah, you know, you know, we. The, I think that was the only real uh, uh, sort of handbrake turn that we that we used to, within Lizzie was doing that Thunder Lightning album. Uh, that was a real different way for for us to go and, and i wasn't i wasn't opposed to it at all you know it's just it was a different sound i like the sound and it was very cool and like i said i love playing those songs live on stage too because <laughs> they were real you know kind of driving kind of kind of songs with this release packaged with the documentary one of the the ironies of of the packaging or what the, 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 the subjects are. We've got the live show and we've got this documentaries in the documentary. It talks about the challenges that face the band when trying to conquer America. Right. Yeah. And how, how you can never get that liftoff, that full liftoff, you know, with the popularity, either because he had to cancel a tour because of a sickness or whatever it was. And then you look at the live at the Sydney opera house show where there's 60, 70,000 people there it kind of tells me what could have happened had Thin Lizzy got the proper proper chance in America and capitalized that. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, you know, uh, it was almost like somebody up there said to us, you know something, we'll let you be really, really popular for the whole world, but you can't have America. So, is that bargain okay with you? And I and it was like, yeah, okay, and we took it, right? But uh, on a, uh, a you know better note than that, I think a lot of our problems was all the cancellations that we had in America. Uh, it never happened, not one time in the rest of the world. Every time it seemed that we got to America, something would explode. You know, somebody would. Pop the grenade, and it was either over with you know, while we were out there, or over with before it even started. Right, and from what I gather, I, I think people got a little, you know, fans got a little pissed off. You know, hey man, I bought the ticket, wait for you to come, and where the fuck are you? You know, you just done this again, really? Oh, for God's sakes, you know. So I, I think that I mean Don and I have talked about this. Uh, a couple of times. I, I think that was a, probably a, a good chunk of the reason why, uh, you, know, you know, we lost ground in America. You know, you, you can't keep, you know, doing, you know, interviews and saying we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, and then you don't show up. 
You, you can't do that. Right? And the promoters get mad. And then there's that side of it. You know, uh, they're losing their ass on you be, because you don't show up, you know, and, uh, you know, the promoters have a really tough time. They're the gamblers in in this whole thing, right? They're the guys putting the money up, right? You know, really, all you got to do is show up and play. Right? But, so, you know, these are the guys that, that are taking the chance on it. Not just us, but everybody, right? So you don't want to, you don't want to screw them up, you know? And I think we did that, like I say, one time too many. Uh, you know, promoters got a little fed up. I think fans got fed up. Uh, which is a shame because I know for a fact, uh, you know, Philip just wanted to make it so bad in America. Uh, and so did I. It's my home country. You know, who doesn't want to be well known in their own country, for God's sakes, you know. But it it just wasn't to be. It just was not in the cards for us. Right. And what a shame that was. So we're going to try to get out next year uh, as doing Thin Lizzy. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, 2024, and we're going to try to do. Uh, God, I'm probably putting the whammy on this, right? Nope, they didn't show up. You know. <laughs> 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 right? Well, uh, I, it never ends, right? So, but that—that's the plan. We're going to try that anyway. So we'll—we'll we'll see how that pans out. I think that'd be great. I mean, I know you spoke about it last year when I had you on. And of course, you're doing you know, you're doing the Black Star Rider anniversary tour um, with that. Um, but I think for a young generation to be able to see Thin Lizzy music being played live, you know, um, mm. is, I think is really important. You know, I I, I have a, a a teenage son who finally came around to Thin Lizzy a couple years ago, and you know, I, at first he was you know like any teenager, he was resistant to what his dad was listening to. But then, you know, I, I come home and he's in his room and I can hear, you know, uh, borderline playing in the room right. you know, or, or, or or a lot of the, you know, the songs that um, that you guys played. So he's become a huge fan. I mean, he loves the band. Oh, cool. too. So, you know, I think that's important for for your legacy, for the band's legacy is to keep trying to to penetrate that that younger audience. Sure, sure. I, and I'm really happy to hear the borderline. You know, what's that? There's a he, he just said you got to keep penetrating the younger audience. It's a, oh, come on, come there. on, come on, get it out of the gutter there, Don. Gee. I, I, I knew when I said it, I knew when I said it, I'm like, yeah, that that probably was the wrong choice of words. I tried to ignore that, I tried to ignore it, you know, be professional. <laughs> Scott's a happily married man for 40 years. Don't. Right. Thank you. Thank you. But what an amazing steward of the, of the music you've been, Scott, honestly, in all seriousness, that, that you know, you told, you, you've you said in interviews and you've told me before, you you found, you found, you got reinvigorated to the fact that, you know, you don't want people to forget about Thin Lizzy and, and what you guys have achieved musically over the years and and so now with all these reissues and and remixing of things i mean that's been such an important way to keep this this music out there and and as you said that this is great because there's more to come right and also you know i've said i don't want to use thin lizzie as an atm machine either you know where you, you go oh you know i'm a little low this month so let's go out on tour and you know make some cash you know i just i refuse 
to do that, right? If there's like a, you know, a reason, you know, to go out, like an anniversary of, you know, one of the albums and all that, great, you know, absolutely. You know, it gives me a chance to, you know, jump on that plane and, you know, go to America. And like you say, you know, and Jay said, you know, play to a younger audience and test your metal, you know, to see to see where you stand with everybody, which, you know, I've never been afraid to do. Uh, and I'm still not afraid to do it. So let's get out there and try to kick some ass, you know, with uh, some of the some of the young, some of the younger folk out there, you know. <laughs> when you put together these packages, like you just did the Live and Dangerous box set, um, and in the future, as these anniversary dates start to start to come up, you know, for whatever album it is, is that right. something that you really want to kind of revisit? Is you know, like you think of Kiss, you think of Metallica doing these box sets for anniversary editions. Is that something you want to do with Thin Lizzy too? With is Live and Dangerous going to you know spawn more activity on that front? Well, you know, if, if I want to be honest about it, I, I did not want to do this, you know, Live and Dangerous box set. <clears throat> Universal were on me for like three years, you know, trying to get me to get into the studio and put a, a mix on the other, you know, three nights. You know, and, I, and my whole thing was, listen, you know, that was a, a moment in time. That's history. You know, we should we should just leave that alone. Uh, because Life and Dangerous was what it was, right? But then one of the guys at Universal said, you know, uh, you know, we listened to the other three nights and we realized that, you know, all this hubbub from, you know, Tony Visconti, the producer, saying that, you know, 70% of it was overdubbed, right? He, he said, you know, we're listening to this and we know that that's impossible. You guys could not have done 70% overdubs on this thing. You know, I mean, it's it's so well played, you know, and because that's a reason, you know, to put some, put that out to stop all this uh, this hoopla about overdubs and all that. And I kind of went, oh yeah, that's that's actually that's actually a good reason, right? Uh, and that's mainly the reason that I did it is, is I you know wanted people to know that you know this overdub thing just didn't happen in the way that's been reported so and i'm happy to see that that the people actually understand that now they got that monkey off my back finally as far as more coming in terms of thin lizzie more reissues or more live performances is there anything that you're thinking of now of, of releasing that uh you think needs to be out there for the band well you, like i say you know we did a lot of uh recording of you know, live things with then Lizzie. Uh, you know, uh, yeah, we, we did quite a few. And I know that there's reels of tape back there in the dungeons, uh, you know, being you know, just waiting around to, you know, be exposed, you know. So, you know, we'll we'll see. You know, one day I'll, I'll, I'll get in the studio, you know, have them open up the studio doors and have all the dust come out. And, uh <laughs> Put the put the tape on and see what we got there, you know. But I know that there are a few, you know, live performances that uh, that Lizzie did do that I can't remember as being, you know, pretty damn good. So you know, why not, you know, put them out there to let everybody else let everybody else hear them. The uh, <clears throat> the uh, the studio albums is that's 
purely it's almost like a vanity thing for me you know i i just god I, jay i just want to get a couple of those albums sounding better you know when you've got a producer and you're getting ready to do your thing on guitar and you start to play and he goes uh can you turn that down just a little bit uh yeah okay and then you get ready go uh, yeah I'll turn that down just a little bit more <laughs> to the point where it starts sounding like sezzy rubber bands or something, you know? So uh, I, I would just love to be able to put that right somehow. If it can be righted, you know? Yeah. You see a lot, you know, in the seventies when live albums, Scott, were, you know, live and dangerous was so huge, you know, kiss, kiss alive and kiss alive Two were so huge live albums from rock bands in general were big because sometimes the, the studio recordings could be hit or miss um, yep. because the production, you know, equipment and technology and styles uh, and techniques weren't there then. So sometimes right. and Peter Frampton comes alive. And I think for a lot of fans, you know, when you see for bands in the 70s, they say, which album should I listen to? A lot of my first instinct is to go, oh, you should listen to Live and Dangerous. Okay, right. But, you know, it, it was uh, uh, Show Me the Way that uh, got us into, uh, uh, you know, the, the whole live album thing. Uh, Peter Frampton, at that one summer, we were on tour in America, and it seemed like Show Me... Show me the way wah, 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 was being played every fucking five minutes on the American radio, right? And <clears throat> I've told this story a hundred times before, but I'll just tell it again. And Phil finally, you know, blows up and he turns around to me in the car and he says, he says, I don't get it. Listen to that audience. You know, they're going crazy, man. And he's not doing anything. What's he, what's he out there uh, doing somersaults or something? Hell, we could do that. And that's when the whole car went silent at that point. And we thought, yeah, yeah, we could do that, you know. So uh, I got to give kudos to Peter Frampton. Thank you, buddy, man. You uh, uh, you pissed Phil off just enough, man, to <laughs> you poked the bear, right? <laughs> I still well, think it's a good album. It's, it's, a, it's a really good album. You know? So nice job there, Pete. To, to piggyback what... Off of what Don just said, you know, was the energy of these live albums in the seventies that when you're unable to capture that same energy in the studio, right? You mentioned Kiss, you know, he, you know, Thin Lizzy. I mean, there's so many live albums, and and I think one of the one of the things that I really enjoy about these live shows that you keep putting out over the years is you're able to capture the 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 real essence of the band. You know, over and over again, and not and and not just show this band as a, as a you know a one trick pony or or someone a band that maybe had one great performance. I mean, there's performance after performance that is just incredible. Yeah, well, we re we relied on that. We relied on the the live performance. So <clears throat> if we weren't able to do it in the studio, by God, we were going to do it live. You know, so that was our to, to us that was our way in. You know, to the whole live performance thing. Uh, the the problem in the beginning was selling enough tickets to get to, to be able to show people this right and and it took the boys are back in town finally uh to get to get you know the numbers up so people were understanding what what this band was all about but yeah you know you know you're you're right there's so many bands that really they they can't get that live thing in the studio i mean it's just pretty sterile environment that you're in anyway 
uh, you know, there's no, there's no real danger there. You can stop at any time you want, you know, Hey, and drop me in here or whatever, you know, live wise, you're flying by the seat of your pants out there. You're, so you see the green light, you're going, man. you know? So I, I caught, I really like that sort of adrenaline rush of that. How much were, were the other bands performances and how how they were playing live pushed thin lizzie because i mean when you think of obviously there's there's some competitive spirits in between in between the bands that play and the 70s is regarded as as this iconic time in rock and roll and you really had to be on your game when you played live you know because bands were blowing audiences out the door you know with the way they were doing how much did that factor in how much in pushing you guys to perform and, and be at a level that you guys were comfortable with well, uh, I, I can tell you right now, if, if we were the support act on any show, uh, anywhere in the world, you know, our main job, this is the way we saw it, our main job was to blow those guys right off the stage. Sorry, ma'am, you got to follow us, and good luck with that, right? Uh, sometimes it worked, and sometimes it didn't. <laughs> ZZ Top one day, you know, uh, uh, Phil turned me on to ZZ Top, and I loved him. Uh, and we get get to that one show that we're doing in, in Michigan, right? And we go to the backstage door and knock on the door, and the guy, security guy opens it up and says, yeah, uh, yeah, we're in the support band. We're Thin Lizzy. Nope, nobody's getting in here. Uh, ZZ's doing their sound check. Slam. We're going, whoa, wait a minute, what? Uh, knock, knock, knock. Yeah, I don't think you understand here. We're actually on the show. He goes, no, I don't think you understand, pal. You're not getting in while ZZ's doing their sound check. Slam, right? And I think we tried like three times, and every time it was the door slam, right? So <clears throat> that night, and none of us had seen ZZ Top at this point, right? Uh, we're backstage, and, and Phil's fired up. Man, he's pissed off, right? Because right, man, we're going to rip these guys a new asshole tonight, man. We're going to tear them up. All right, limp for limp, right? Nobody give up. Everybody's moving. And you got to play your ass off tonight. We're going, yeah, 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 like the football coach kind of deal, right? And we walk out there, and we and we played a really good set. Got two encores, and, and we walk up all proud of ourselves. Like, yeah, okay, it's easy. Follow that, right? Well, and Phil says, let's go out in front. I see how badly we killed him, right? So so we go to the side of the stage, and we're walk, walking up. And we're watching them, right? And they hadn't even played a note yet, right? And uh, Billy Gibbons walks up to the microphone and says, hey, how y'all doing out there? And every arm in the place went up, right, with a huge roar, right? Says, why don't y'all get off your seats? Come on down here in the front. Let's have a party, right? And everybody rushed down. And I don't even think they remembered who the first band was at that point. <laughs> we were just done. <laughs> So that was a pretty good lesson, you know. Never don't take anything for granted, especially if you've never seen the band. And they were great. I love ZZ. You you told me a great story about Gary Moore seeing Eddie Van Halen for the first time and and how he got inspired. Well, it's it's more humorous than in, in inspiration, you know. Uh, I it was uh, I think Van Halen's first tour, right? And there were. Uh, God, who, who are they touring with? So, some big ass band, right? But they were the support band, right? Sabbath. And, oh, I think it was Sabbath. Yes, thank you, thank you. 
And uh, Eddie comes out for his first solo and starts doing the whole tapping thing, right? And I look at Gary and go, what the hell is that? What's, he, what's that guy doing there, right? And Gary's going, I do not know, right? <laughs> Gary, there's, I, there's nothing I can play. I can't play. There's nothing I can't play. But now it's like, I do not know, right? And they're playing along and, you know, Phil and I are laughing and having a great time. And like two songs later, I turn around to Gary and there's no Gary. He's gone. He, Gary Moore has left the building, right? <laughs> I We don't see him for two days because we're, and that was Cobo Hall that we were at, right? Uh, and, two, and so two days hence, we're at Cobo Hall now, right? And so we're doing the sound check and what do we hear? There's Gary tapping away on, on the old guitar deck, right? He had spent two days teaching himself how, how to tap because he didn't want to have some guitar player do something that he couldn't do, right? Yeah. It took him two days to actually get it down to a decent level. So, cool. I always love those stories, like you just said, with Gary, where another band that's out there inspires another band to to figure it out. I mean, you know, we on the subject of Eddie Van Halen, how he just changed tone, he changed sound of the guitar and how it was approached. And mm-hmm. being in that moment for you, being a band that was around at that time and seeing that, you know, I think of that story too. That like Neil Sean was found when when Van Halen opened up for for Journey on a tour. Like Neil would follow Eddie around, like show me how to do that, show me how to do that. You know, I want to learn how to play that. And it's just what, like a, like a little puppy dog or something. Yeah, it's just amazing to hear like how that one man in in, in the midst of it all, while all this great music is going on in the seventies change the game you know and other guitar players gary who's absolutely phenomenal in his own right and you as well you know hearing that and just like being in awe of someone as as you guys are 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 at the top of your game well i think eddie was kind of a a hendrix kind of guy right the way he the way he changed the guitar player's perception of what they could and couldn't do right uh you know I remember the first time I heard of Hendrix and go, damn, I didn't know you could do that on the guitar. That's amazing. That's really cool, right? So then a couple of generations later, here comes Eddie Van Halen doing the exact same thing, you know, inspiring people with, with his own style, right? And changing once again, you know, the way people thought about, you know, playing guitar and tones and, uh, you know, the speed on, on the neck and all that. So yeah, he, Eddie, Good man, you know, great player, and and changed a lot of uh, a lot of styles around to, you know, in, in people's heads. So good for him. As far as what's next for Thin Lizzy, you know, you mentioned you know possibly touring next year. Have you assembled the lineup? Can you share who's going to be part of it? I cannot. No way. That ain't going to happen right here. For <laughs> you know. I got to ask. We, yeah, I know, I know. We we do have people in mind, uh, and, and they're all just just killer players, right? Uh, you you can't get on that stage unless you are a killer player. I'll just I'll I'll big it up like that. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know. There's no such thing as a, like an average player in Thin Lizzy. That's just that ain't gonna happen, you know. So I am the average one, right? So you you take as the low low guy on the totem pole, right? So. So you know that's that's kind of the standard that uh, that I'm looking for. Is the approach going to be more like a celebration, <laughs> or is it is it going to be you know um, you know like interchangeable parts of like different people doing different things? Have you kind of figured out the approach you want to do for the for the performance or for the tour? 
Uh, you know, not it's a good question. Not, not completely. I know there's uh, uh, certain things instrument wise I, I want to bring in on, on a couple of the songs that you know ha hasn't been uh, heard before. Uh, you know, maybe like percussion kind kind of things that I think would be very cool. Uh, it's I would say there's <clears throat> there's still going to be uh, keyboards like you know how we use Darren Wart and all that for like Angel of Death and all that kind of thing. So you know there there'll be a lot of you know di uh, a lot of sounds up there co coming off that stage as far as as Lizzie's concerned and and I want to add a couple of you know textures to the whole thing you know uh, I I don't want to go over the top with it but uh, I I think there's a couple of spots that uh, might make people go oh wow that's you know hopefully they're gonna go that's really cool and I didn't know you could do that with that song so so I'm looking forward to that to adding those extra bits in there so we'll see i've always said that the song borderline is the very first power ballad when you when you listen to that song and you listen to what came after whether it's still loving you from scorpions or some of these other songs that came after the influence that that song had on that generation i i don't know if it did or not but when i listen to it it's like man this is like the very first power ballad ever yeah, that was, you know, Brian Robertson had a lot to do with, with writing that song. Um, Brian, he didn't do a lot of writing, but when he did, you know, he came up with, like, you know, nice little gems. And, you know, Borderline was, well, he didn't write the lyrics, but, you know, musically, he was, uh, you know, big part of big part of that song. And I think the last time we played that was, uh, wow, I want to say 2017 when we, uh, when uh, Live and Dangerous had its, 40th anniversary or something like that and we had to learn the whole <laughs> whole album which was which was fun so and borderline got got put in there and i i gotta say i uh, i really love playing that song along with southbound also a little bit more of a you know metal uh uh, uh middly kind of kind of song you know so you know, i think lizzie will always have those couple of those kind of songs in the set you know Borderline to me, Scott is is that song between the Phil the lyric, Phil's vocal, and all the instrumentation. When I listen to that song, I feel like I'm sitting at the bar with Phil, and I can feel his pain in that moment. Right. That that's how powerful. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because that song that's how powerful that song is. At, you know, in its totality, where you when you can actually feel, uh, you know, like I always say, Bob. ACDC, you know, Sin City, like you, you feel like you could see Bond like walking into the casino with a woman on each arm, throwing those dice, you know, because he's such a dynamic performer and, and, and obviously the whole band and, and Borderline strikes me as that kind of song too, where I'm just like, I'm like, I have, I feel for Phil in that moment. He's like, he's down and right. pour me another one bartender. And you feel like you're just sitting there and you want to console the guy. So what I'm getting off of this is if it doesn't get put in the set, you guys are going to be pissed off at me. There's a possibility. Yes. All right. All right. Okay. All right. Here, let me just write that down. Okay. I just want to make sure. <laughs> cool. Well, that's one. Yeah. What's remarkable about that song, you know, to kind of keep talking about it is how it's, it's got so much subtlety yet it keeps building throughout the whole song and it's kind of a really unique approach for the band because 
you know, it's not the bombastic, you know, boys are back in town or, 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 you know, the song that you're known for. It's, it's this subtle approach that just keeps going and going and building as the song keeps going. It's very layered as well. And yeah, I, 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 to piggyback off what Don said, you can smell the bar. You can smell the smoke in a bar. You can smell the, 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 the liquor. I love that. Yeah. I love right. that. I love it. Yeah. No, that's, that is so cool. I mean, that's, you know, as, uh, as songwriters, you strive to, you know, have people like you, that, like yourself and, uh, you know, to feel, get those kind of feelings, you know, and, and to be able to sit here and talk with you guys and know that you actually got that was, that is so cool. It's unbelievable. Thank you so much for that. I, I needed that. What song in your opinion defines Thin Lizzy? Now, it doesn't have to be the most popular song, but what song? Right. Well, I, the, you know, the thing with Thin Lizzy is there were so many different styles that uh, they got recorded and, and played. And so uh, to pick a song that's like the definition of Thin Lizzy is kind of tough. You know, maybe Emerald, because uh, it is a very Irishy. Uh, flavors in there, you know, uh, and it's it's got a real power of its own, you know. And I, I know Phil, uh, you know, made sure that the the lyrics were correct on that, and so he could sing that every night with the same intense, you know, emotion. So, uh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll pick Emerald, but that's a tough question, you know. Uh, the definition of your of your band with one song. Wow, you guys are tough. I'm sweating. No, I, I would I'm, say I'm, I'm sweating here. <laughs> and now, so now you have two songs for the 2024. Right, tour. all right. Borderline. Let me, write, let me write that one down too. Okay. <laughs> as as we close, um, you know the the this conversation. Um, as far as live at the Sydney Opera House, it's it's a must purchase for any Thin Lizzy fan, for any live music fan, uh, for any rock and roll fan. Um, it's just a great performance. And, you know, Scott's been able to share some of the story behind what had happened. And, you know, when again, you know, to kind of go back to it, putting this together and, and revisiting this. um Outside of what you you know, spoke about with the DJs and the crowd, in terms of what maybe people may not know, what's your what's your fondest memory about this day, about this performance with the band? Well, just seeing the sheer numbers of people out there. I mean, there, like I say, there was only supposed to be six thousand people out there, uh, and to walk out on that stage and you got seventy thousand people in front of you. Uh, it was pretty unexpected, you know. I mean, we we like I say, we had done you know great numbers on all the all the other city uh, cities, you know, Melbourne, Brisbane, and all that. There were all great numbers there, right? But uh, to go from absolutely six thousand, that's all you're going to get to you know to sixty sixty five thousand. That uh, that was pretty cool, you know. I, I, I think we all really enjoyed that moment, being able to walk out there and, and see that, you know, so very cool. Did you know when you got up that morning that that's what the crowd was going to be like? Was there any idea that this was going to be this huge monstrosity crowd or monster crowd? Uh, <clears throat> no, not not at all. 
you know, in our minds, it was going to be 6,000 people. Uh, and, un until our car drove up there, and I kept thinking, well, this sure, maybe my head's a little screwball here, but this seems like more than 6,000 people. You know, there's like a lot more than six. And then people kept coming and coming and coming. So we didn't actually see the end product of the the attendance until we actually walked out onto the stage itself. So yeah, it was yeah, it was a pretty big surprise. A nice one though. Well, guys, it's been great. Um, Don, thanks for uh for taking part in this conversation. Scott, thanks for doing this as well. It's great to have you back on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a blast. You guys, <clears throat> you guys asked some tough questions, but they're 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 questions that needed to be asked. And, and I'm, I'm really glad you asked them. So thanks, thanks for having me. Both of you guys. Yeah, thanks so much, Jay. Love you, Scotty. Love you too, buddy. See you in the next tour, okay? You got it. Maybe before then. Okay. Well, everybody, I'm Jay Scott. That's my co-host, Don Jameson, too, as well. And a great guest, Scott Gorham. Thank you very much. This is uh, the Ultimate Rock Me podcast, The Hook Rocks. Stay safe, stay healthy, take care of each other. We'll talk soon. Thanks. About that girl and me, how something's going wrong. Mister, tell me what's my saving grace? The back room boys are all telling me. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.